Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 28. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so excited to introduce my special guest today, an icon in the hot rod world, Pete Shapouris. Pete, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up and ready to go. Okay, here we go. Pete started cruising the boulevards with his hot rod friends right around 1955. His first hot rod was a 32 Roadster, of course. He's been through a string of cars and have formed relationships and friendships with many of the most famous people in the hot rod world. His early business, Pete and Jake's Hot Rod Parts, was known for their innovative style and seat-of-the-pants marketing, and it brought the hot rod business into the mainstream. Along with his many ventures, Pete was the vice president of marketing for SEMA and was elected into the Street Rod Market Alliance Hall of Fame. After restoring the Dwayne Spencer Roadster for Bruce Meyer, his build won the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance Hot Rod class the first year they had such a class. And Pete was inducted into the Hot Rod Magazine Hall of Fame. Pete has more awards than anybody I know. He's the president of the iconic SoCal Speed Shop and continues to make waves in the hot rod world, working on all sorts of cars and bikes. If you ask Pete about retiring, he'll just shrug his shoulders and say, you don't retire when you love what you do. So Pete, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you, so please take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and of course, your passion for automobiles. Well, I was born into a hot rod family, that's for sure. I, my earliest recollection of life was looking out over the hood of my dad's 39 Ford convertible. Um, I don't remember not having hot rods around. I think it's fair to say that I wasn't given much of a chance to do anything else. So <laughs> my dad was a really big, was very, uh, very big part of my life. In fact, he was my best friend. We I built him a car in 1978, a little 26 Model T roaster, and gave it to him for Father's Day, and he drove it till the day he passed away. Oh, so wow. We've, uh, we've come a long way together, and I just, uh, I, it, it's just in my blood. I, just, there's, I, I don't know what else I would do. Well, growing up in that time period back in Southern California with hot rods, and we talked a little bit in our pre-show about surfing. Can you tell us a little bit about what life was like back then? It was a lot simpler, that's for sure, and I think a lot of guys that are into hot rodding and into cars in general, you know, collecting cars, the genre all the way across the board, I think it gives guys the uh, ability to go back to a simpler life. The cars are simpler, things are simpler, they go on events that are not as complicated as what they do during the week. So I think that whole thing, the 50s and the 60s, what it brings back to mind is just a more laid-back lifestyle. And I think a lot of guys that never had that lifestyle are are looking for that. And I and quite honestly, I think they're finding it. Uh, we, we just got back from Kansas City, the art of the car concourse, and I saw an awful lot of relaxed people sitting around on the grass <laughs> looking at cars. It looked pretty good to me. You had a business, Pete and Jake's Hot Rod Parts. Why don't you tell us a little bit about creating and, and building that business because at the time a lot of things were changing and things were happening in the hot rod uh, arena yeah, if you things, will yeah things were that, that was a very tough time for 
my family and I and my partner Jim Jacobs, there was a renaissance happening in hot rodding. It was right around 1968, and from 1968 to about 1974, there was a lot of do-it-yourselfers. And what we came along with was parts that that could could be bought by the do-it-yourself guys. The problems we had was we were just undercapitalized, and we had this business, and we really believed in it, and we couldn't get anybody to help us. And so when we quit building cars for people and started building parts for people, we were able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and became very successful in what we did and to that and to this day actually. So it was a different time, you know, it was a different time in those days. And one of the things that that made that happen to this day, looking at it over for forty years, is building lasting business relationships. It's the key to success for me and Nothing takes the place of the confidence in a business associate. Nothing. I, I've worked with people all my life, and they're still coming to the back door selling us parts. <laughs> um, it's amazing, really. I, I, you know, that 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 to me is just being faithful. Sure. Well, for for young business entrepreneurs out there that are just starting and have haven't had the breadth of time that you've had in life, that's a great message for them to know and learn and understand. It's just hard to build those relationships. They're so important. Yeah. I don't think anything's going to change. I mean, I honestly believe that no matter what, you know, what they're working on, whether it's an electronics company or, I mean, whatever it may be, the key to it is this, is still the relationships. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't step into the shoes of a, of a 22-year-old guy who's, you know, doing something completely different, but I can't help but think that in 33 years from now, that guy's not going to be going to the same vendors, not if he's a... Not if he's true blue, and that's going to make him successful. Yeah, absolutely. I want to jump ahead a little bit. You uh, became involved with SEMA, and how did that evolve, and and what did that do for your career? Well, I'll tell you what it did for me. It doubled the size of my phone book. <laughs> <laughs> I sold my I sold Pete and Jake's in 1986 to Jerry Slover, and he moved it to Kansas City, Missouri, which was a good move because it put the company in the center of the country, which gave him distribution that we didn't have on the east or on the west coast and i went to work for sema for four years as vp of marketing and what that did was it put me in a place where i got to meet everybody that was anybody at right right at the top level i i went in and was hanging out with you know the vic edelbrocks and far brothers from b&m and all of the above and i came away four years later with like i say like a phone book that had doubled in size and here again, I was able to to turn those relationships into business. And they didn't let me down, and I didn't let them down. And then when I went into, when I re, uh, when we signed up with Alex Exidius to bring the SoCal Speed Shop name back in 97, that relationship at SEMA really helped me boost and go forward. And when I go to SEMA, I put on my, I got my business hat and I've got my industry hat. And I wear my industry hat more than I wear my business hat, quite honestly, because if I can make the industry stronger, then the next thing is is that my business gets stronger. Uh, I'm a devoted SEMA member. I've done everything that you can imagine for that organization and still doing it to this day. I'm very proud of what we've been able to achieve. It's the best, the best. We've got a new guy on board named Mike Spagnola that is just tearing through that place, man. He's doing some great stuff. 
Well, it is a, a great show. I believe uh, this year will be my 22nd year in a row attending SEMA. If you love automotive aftermarket parts or anything automotive for that sake, um, it's a great show to attend for sure. The very first time I went to SEMA as a as anything other than just hanging out, it was in 1974. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was way before I got there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, here again, it terrified me. I walked in there and went, oh, my God, what am I doing here? You know, same old deal. I know the first day I went from the, when it was at Anaheim Convention Center and then they moved to the, to Las Vegas, that was the scary one. In fact, I think what happened was I didn't go to the second, I went, didn't go to the first show in Vegas, I went to the second show in Vegas, and by that time, man, it had really gone crazy because Peterson was still involved in it and it was just, it was just a mega, mega show. But it was, same thing, just nuts. Well, there was a turning point at Pebble Beach here back in, was it, 97? When, yeah, 97. Yeah. yeah, when the first time on that lawn they had hot rods. And I wonder if you could share a little bit with our listeners that experience for you because you ended up taking that class award, uh, that wonderful roadster you built for Bruce Meyer. Tell us a little bit about that experience. The Don Spencer Roadster is, is one of the icons of the industry. It's just like if you're going to build a Deuce Roadster, you build one of two cars. You build the Don Spencer Roadster, which is what we call the black car, or you build a McGee roaster, which is what we call the red car. And one of them is built a certain way with the frame horns kind of sticking out of the car. And you build like the black car, which has everything kind of moved inside so that there's no, nothing protruding out of the car. The black car is, a, is by far the car. I mean, it's the one. Bruce has been trying for four or five years to get them to open up the hot rods on the grass and the, and they said over, you know, over my dead body. And so one day I got a telephone call and this guy said, are you still alive? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> he said, so, so this isn't over your dead body, but we've, we have cars on the grass this year. Wow. And I was absolutely just blown away. And I used the word terrified in a couple of places, and this is one of them. And it was... Uh, we were, you know, we were out at dark, you know, it was oh dark 30, 6 o'clock, we're rolling the cars out, we're driving the cars out onto the grass, and here we are with these little hot rods and the Duesenbergs and the Packards and the Ferraris and all of that, and we were way down at the end. I mean, I was really nervous, I mean, like big time, and right behind our car on to the right side is this beautiful Packard dual cal fitting. I mean, the car's stunning, and there's this old guy there with his pork pie hat and all the right blazers and the right, you know, the right shoes and everything, and he's eyeballing us and eyeballing and eyeballing, and I'm getting worried that he's going to come over and say something, you know, and so the sun comes out and the car's looking good, so finally this guy comes wandering over, and I'm thinking, what is he going to, what's he want? (laughs) And he comes over and he goes, excuse me, and I said, yes, sir, he says, um, you got anything to do with this car? And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he says, and what's your relationship to it? And I said, well, um, I'm, I'm the lead guy on the restoration team. Let's put it that way. And he says, okay. He says, would you, and he hands me this open little book with a, with a pen. He says, would you mind sharing your chrome plater with me? <laughs> and and we, we suddenly became just great pals. Yep. And, and everybody that came over that day literally was just, enthralled with the quality of the car and how beautiful it was and not just this car but all of the cars it's become um you know they they do it every other year and it's and it's become 
something for everybody to look forward to. And we've done. Um, I'm trying to. Th- I was trying to think uh, last night how many trophies we've got. I think we've got four preservation awards, a first place, and three seconds. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of. That's a lot of Pebble Beach trophies, considering that most guys in class don't get any. And um, I, I just, I, you know, I'm. I, it, it's very, very humbling. Uh, I'm just over the moon with it. And uh, God bless Bruce Meyer for believing in what we do, and and uh, Donna Roscoe and all the other guys that went, you know, Kirk White, fellows that have gone out and gone out on a limb and had those cars restored. And what was so cool was at Kansas City we had a beautiful. We had the Stone Spencer car was there. The Ray Brown Roadster was there from the Peterson. Pete and Jake's, both the Coops were there. The California Kid and Jake's yellow car. Dick Munns brought a Brizio Roadster. And Tom McIntyre brought a Rolling Bones Coupe. And then uh, Don Armacost's 32 Cabriolet. So we had this. There was other cars, too. But we had the cream of the crop, and it was easy to walk our friends from Kansas City threw those cars and explained to them kind of what they were. I don't think we had anybody that was disappointed. No, <laughs> I'm sure you didn't. Well, that's a wonderful story. And I, I, too, am glad, having attended Pebble Beach for so many years now, that they're bringing cars like that onto the lawn and other vehicles and now motorcycles. Because if it rolls on rubber, we car people love it. I think that's the truth. You, yeah. You know, and it's it's fun to share those experiences. So thanks. That's a, a wonderful story. I love it. The uh, the, the gentleman and the cr- the proper loafers coming over. <laughs> that's well, it was just the old guy. You know, he's I, I, he, at the time he was probably my age now, right? <laughs> he was probably <laughs> 70, but he looked really, I was hoping he was going to make it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a great story. Well, listen, Pete, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote, something that's been instrumental in forming your success in your business. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Pete, take the wheel. Well, I, I kind of touched on it a little earlier, but my quote is to anybody that, that's out there that's looking to be, I, I think that building long-lasting business relationships is the key to success. Nothing takes the place of confidence in a business associate. I mean, that's where you take care of the guy. You, you know, you pay your bills on time. When you're in trouble, he's right there. I mean, I've had some issues with some people where I'm a little short of cash. I've never had anybody not take my check. And at the other end, we always bounce back. Those kind of things, when you get in a jam, you got to have the, that kind of support. It never fails, you know. When you don't need the money, the bank is there, and when you need the money, the bank's not there. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna be working with your business, you know, with your business associates to get things rolling, keep it rolling. And I, like I say, I've got guys I've been working with for 40 years. They're my age. Their kids are taking over, just like my kids taking over. And those relationships are, I hold them so dear. I mean, when I work with my accounting people, when we get somebody in here that's new, I have a list of people that we absolutely do not screw around with, period. No no way. Mm-hmm. And that keeps all this going as far as I'm concerned. Well, you answered my next question is how have you incorporated that quote into your life? And I think you've been extremely clear on that. It, it is Those relationships are so valuable in so many ways. And it's wonderful how that has served you so well. Is there a moment in time that you can think back that 
you really knew you were a car guy. And I know you said you grew up in a car family, but is there a moment you can remember, probably as a child, that you just went, this is my life? My dad was very generous with me. He did this thing on Saturday mornings. He went out and went over to all of the really cool body shops to check things out. He had always had a really neat custom car, so he'd clean it all up and he'd cruise around and he knew all the guys and all the right hot spots. And what was really cool is he wasn't much of a, he, he was a basketball player, but he never threw me a baseball or in that because I wasn't a sport. I was a car guy. That's just how it was. But what he would do is he would take me with him. And I can remember being in certain cars that would put me at about nine years old. He faithfully took me with him to car shows and places like that. And he always set me straight. And he only introduced me to the coolest guys. <laughs> These were guys that didn't screw around. These were guys that were hard workers. These were guys that... This, this, these, these places didn't end up in bars or out back drinking beer. These were guys that were just the real deal. You know, I mean, the real deal. And I think that that's part of it was the fact that I was hanging out with people I was reading about in magazines, and I wasn't being, I, I was never disappointed. When it came time to meet George Barris, I met George Barris, and George Barris was the real deal. Oh, yeah. I met Larry Watson, and he was the real deal. Wow. There was no, you know, there was no crap. It was the, re, it was the real thing. And, and so when it came time for us to be the real deal, we don't let people down. I mean, I can remember running into people later on in life and saying, I'm going to meet Jim Garner, right? I, here I am. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and I'm going to meet Jim Garner at this race. And I'm walking up to him, and I'm saying, please, God, don't. I don't want to be disappointed. And I meet Jim Garner, and he's just this greatest guy. And so I wasn't disappointed, and so I don't want to disappoint people. So sure. all of that, that all comes from my father. You know, took me to the right places and we meet the right people and it instills good citizenship, I guess, you know. He taught you a lot of great things. What a wonderful legacy. Sure. And it's the simplest things. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Pete, what I want to do now is is take a look at the roads you've driven down and, and crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty, something you're used to doing. Would you share with us a huge challenge you've had in your past, maybe even a great failure that really pushed you to a breaking point, but more importantly, how you overcame that, what you learned from it. Well, one of the things that that we've that we've had, I wouldn't say we had trouble with, but it was kind of new to us, and that was going Bonneville racing. Mm. It wasn't too long ago, and we had a bunch of electronic stuff that was brand new, and we were having problems with it, and we were we were on the crunch, really on the crunch. And I was talking to my GM friends, and I said, we have got to get a magician in here. You know, we're, we are absolutely to the wall. You know, no one's sleeping. It's been 36 hours. The crew of nine, are, they're all dead. We've got to go forward. And they reached into their trick box and flew a guy out here from, from Detroit. He was the right guy. He came in while my guys were sleeping on the floor, and he came in and, and fixed it, and we loaded nine dead guys in the back <laughs> of the van with our with our car in tow. We slept the thousand miles that it is to get there. Everybody broke out pretty pretty fresh, 
and we went out and set a world's record that afternoon. Oh, my gosh. A world's record at what speed? Well, the record we set was we put our guy in the 200-mile-an-hour club. It was a 226-mile-an-hour run in, in an ion. Oh, my goodness. It was a breaking point. I mean, everyone, we were done. I mean, yeah. we were all ready to kill each other because that's what these things take out of you. Yeah. Cooler heads prevailed. Our friend Brian, and he became the hero, and it was great. Great, and, and the guy was just, you know, a typical, just, just, a, just a typical geek. He was the geek squad, <laughs> and he came out there, and he didn't know how to behave, and oh, we were having more fun with him than you could imagine. He was, he was, he was a lab rat. Sure. But he knew how to make that engine run. Yep, saved the day. He was an amazing guy. Yeah, great guy. That's a great story. Pete, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and share a story when you had an aha moment in your career, a time when you realized that an idea or concept was really going to make it. You just went, wow, I can actually make a living around this passion I have for automobiles. Can you share that with us? Yeah, it was back in 1972, and I was working on my black coupe which later became the california kid and actually was the cornerstone of the of our pete and jake's company and i was working out in my garage shop and i'd come up with an idea for a shock absorber that would bolt on this doesn't sound like much but that it would bolt on top of a of a fender brace for a 34 ford it was actually it's actually been acclaimed as a pretty clever item okay well i've done it at home and i made it all out of it i mean we talk about making stuff out of a, using a, a file, a rock, and a hacksaw, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my little 75-amp welder. And I made this part, and I, and I can remember, just like it was yesterday, had it all done, it was painted, and I held it in my hand, and I looked at it, and I said to myself, that's pretty clever. There's got to be a place for me in this world out there. There's got to be a place for me in manufacturing. Hmm. I, I, I know that I can do this. And that was an aha moment for me because it changed my life. That brief, you know, those minutes out in, the, out in, the, out in my garage by myself, and that's what changed it. Right from then on, it was completely different. Wow. Completely well, different. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful moment. I love that. I love it. Let's have a little fun here. Talk about your first car. Could you share that with us and maybe share a, a moment, a memory, an adventure, or some modifications yeah, could, you might have made? Yeah, the guy, the, there was a guy down the street for me, him and his wife. He was a Filipino, and he had the typical 1930 Model A Ford coupe. It had a wooden box in the back that he had his lawnmower in. The guy was a gardener. I mean, you know, they all did it. Deck lid was gone. Wooden bed was in the back. And I went down there, and I, you know, the thing was smoking and carrying on, and it wasn't running very good. And I went down, and I said to him, hey, I wish I could remember his name. I said, hey, you want to sell that car? I said, I noticed you got yourself a pickup truck. And he goes, yeah. He says, I might want to sell that to you. And he, I said, it's not running very good. He said, And he, he told me it was running good, but it wasn't running good. So anyway, we, we haggled back and forth. So I bought this thing for $35, <laughs> and it was, it was toast. But there was a car on the cover of Rod and Custom Magazine and was owned by a guy named Gil Granucci, and I fell in love with the car. Fell in love with the car. So it was a Model A coupe, and it was mounted on a 32 Ford frame, and it had a flathead in it. But I, by that time, flatheads were getting pretty passe, and uh, 
so the 265 Chevy had come out. So I had some money saved, and my dad helped me. He, I put up $200, and he put up $200, and we bought this small block Chevy together. And so I was the first guy in my town to have a small block Chevy and a hot rod. Wow. And I built it all at home. I had plenty of help. We channeled it and all of that. And then it was uh, in my junior year. So I didn't have a running car the whole time I was in high school. I just had friends that uh, that would allow me to bum rides from them. But I had a pretty cool hot rod. It was really fun. I had um, my dad drove me down to George Barris's and they reversed the rear wheels. And I had an aunt that worked at Firestone and she got me the long deal on the front tires. And you know, kids. I mean, we had no money. I was working two jobs at a at a pottery factory where I was scraping floors for like 90 cents an hour or 70 cents an hour or something. So anyway, bottom line was I built this whole car, and it actually ran. I had $1,500 in it at, let's say, 75 cents an hour, so you can imagine. (laughs) That's a lot of hours of scraping floors. It was a lot of hours of scraping floors. That was my first first car, and then I went in the – and I graduated from high school, and I went in the Marine Corps, and uh, I sold the car to a guy, and I never saw it again. Well, you led me right into my next question, and that was seller's remorse. Is there is there a car that you wish you still own today that you've sold? Yes, there is. I made a big mistake by selling a 1953 Buick Skylark convertible. Uh, that's a classic, and the reason that I would love to have one of those... My dad bought new Buicks every two years, and in 1953, he bought a Buick Special, a hardtop. And when we were picking it up, I said, boy, this is really a nice car. And he goes, yeah, he says, but that Skylark that's sitting there, that's the one I really want. And I looked over, and here was this Honduras maroon wire-wheeled Buick Skylark sitting in the showroom floor. So I've always wanted one, and then I found one, but... It wasn't. It was too far gone. I, I mean, I could have done it, but it would have taken me forever. So, I got a friend of mine that's keeping an eye out for me. He's got one lined up, so we'll see what happens. Well, good. I hope you. I hope you get that in your garage someday. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are cool cars. Is there yeah. a current project you're working on right now, Pete? That really has you excited and fired up? Yeah, we're working on yet another thirty-two three-window coupe, but it's for a customer named Carl Akins who's a he's an architect over here in uh, in Laguna Beach and he's really making us reach. So the car is very traditional but it's got some really neat features to it. And so he's got us like kind of every time he comes over we worry on whether or not we're making him happy and <laughs> generally we are, which is good. But He's really making us reach, and it's and it's good for us because most clients were a little bit ahead of him. This guy, we're a little bit behind the curve because he's a major thinker and he's got really good taste. So we're constantly going back and forth with the guy, which I think is really interesting. This is the first guy we've had since we did America's Most Beautiful Roadster two years ago for Bill Lindig that's really made us think like, hardcore yeah thinking yeah. so it's um it's great good. i mean i it, it, it yeah he's tough and that's good <laughs> yeah. that, that makes it you know it's difficult 
you're going to end up with something really special there for sure. Yeah, yeah, this car is going to be this car's over the top. And it's not a spaceship. I mean, it's it's all hard, it's all traditional. Cool. I can't wait to see that. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? I'd be a I don't know. I've got a, there's a car that I did last year that I'd love to be. We did a roaster for a guy named Richard Varner. It's overpowered, but it has this really strong mid-range and so you can roll it out in low gear and then short shift it into second and then the car kind of sets sideways just slightly like about 10 degrees and the car goes nice and straight at this little bit of an angle and it's got this unbelievable amount of power in the car it's very controllable it has everything i think that a hot rod should have. It's got a quick change room, which makes a lot of noise. It's got a supercharger. It's a 500 and I forget how many inch uh, Coyote Ford motor in it. Five speed. It's got Halibran wheels. It's got like all the little tricks done to it that make it a real hot rod. It's got kind of not loud paint, but paint you really recognize. It's kind of a pearl pearlescent gold which sounds kind of tacky but it's not and then a, it's got this socal scallop on it which is a pearl color as well and so the pearlescence kind of match as far as the metallic part of it the reason that i want it would want it is because it's so much fun to drive the car is fun yeah. to drive that's the key it's safe and it just has it has everything you need and it's fun well, and that's an interesting answer because if you had to be a car, it sounds like you'd want to be a fun car, and you seem like you're a fun guy, so I think that was a great choice. All right, Pete, we're coming up on a fun part of our talk here. I call it the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready to go? Sure. Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? It was given to me by guys that have made big mistakes. Cars are cool, but family first. <laughs> that's good. Yep, that's a great I one. I mean, I'm talking about divorcees with big problems because they got married to their cars. I'm, and everybody everybody knows one. <laughs> family first. That's a tough one. I, I, I am guilty of it myself, and bless my wife for straightening me out because... It becomes an obsession. Would you share with us one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Try really, really hard not to take anybody down a path, meaning that I try and take them to a place that I know I can make for them. The last thing you want to do is give anybody, and that, I guess the, I don't know if the word false hope is anything, but it's like anybody else. You know, You don't want to, tell somebody something that you can't give them. So we try really hard to exceed what they're expecting rather than not being able to make what they're expecting. And, and I think we're successful at it. I, I just don't want to give anybody sell, uh, any kind of false expectation. Well, it sounds like the short answer to that question is just being honest. Do you have a resource that you would like to share with our listeners? Maybe it's a website you really enjoy. I use Google every day. I'll bet you I use it 25 or 30 times a day. Google is my source. Google Images starts me off almost on everything I search for. 
I mean, it puts me right where I want to be, whether it's YouTube or whether it's eBay or whatever. I mean, I just plug in 1953 Ford headlight rings and off I go. Uh, it, it, Google just, I mean, I'm telling you, it, it just sets me free. I'm sure there's something else out there, but, man, that's what I use. And my guys, when I bring something up, they always go, where'd you find that? I says, well, I started on Google. That's who I use. Pete, is there a book that you recently read that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, there's a book that I go back to over and over again as a reference book. And that's my pal Ken Gross's Hot Rod Milestones. Mm, yeah. It's, it's a clever book. He spent a lot of time on it. There's some things in it that I really like doing because I can go back. Like when I'm talking to a client, it's, it's, the book is on my big table. You know, I've got uh, stickies on the pages, and I can go back and say, we can do it this way, or maybe you'd like to look at doing something along this way. This is what such and such did back in the day because we do, we do a lot of traditional stuff. And what it does is it starts the juices flowing and we end up, you know, we might start with A and actually end up with Z, but it started with, you know, that one little nuance. You know, it's like the, we might start off with the, with, the, uh, with the McGee High Boy Dash and then the next thing we know we've got a reiteration of that and a different steering wheel and we decided to push the... The, the the dash back a little bit more and bring the bottom forward and you know and then the next thing we know we've got a completely different look but you've got to start somewhere and I find that my imagination sometimes is I have a little bit of difficulty getting my point across to a guy that doesn't have an imagination so what I do is I I kickstart the imagination with something that he can see immediately and then what I do is I take that idea we stretch it a little bit, then I give it to my artist, which is Alberto Hernandez, and then we go from there together. It takes a kind of a step out of it, mm-hmm. and then if you know, and then obviously, if I've got a guy who's done this before and he's got some imagination, then we can, you know, then we work on it together. Ken's great. I'd love to get Ken on this show. I think he'd be a great interview. Yeah, well, he's so well-rounded, you know, with this, especially with his time and grade over at the Peterson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these resources that Pete's talked about at carsyad.com slash Pete Shapouris. Just put Pete's name in the search bar and those will pop right up. All right, we're at the checkered flag here. You know what that means, Pete. We're at the end of the race. And this last question can sometimes be a challenge for people. I like to call it a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage... And this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with. And money is no object. What would it be and why? Well, it's going to get back to the old 53 Buick Skylark. (laughs) Because it's my dad's favorite car. I happen to think it's genius. I can't imagine. I mean, I know I could have, like, if I could have anything else, I would probably gravitate to that car. I can't. uh, I guess it's been on my mind for so long, and uh, a real good friend of mine, Tom Sparks, had one, and I got to drive it around, and it's everything I thought it would be, and it's just, it's just the boat, man. It's beautiful. <laughs> the boat. <laughs> well, the boat. Can't yeah. wait for you to have that car in your garage. That's great. Well, Pete, you've taken us on a great ride today, and and I've really enjoyed your stories and our time together. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us. 
If you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Buick, and then let us know what's the best way for them to find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Well, we're at www.so-calspeedshop.com. That's us. Pretty simple. And that one parting piece of automotive guidance you talked about earlier? Yeah. This happens every day, 10 times a day, 30, you know, 365 days a year, no matter how clever you may think you are, you're not. <laughs> There's always something, isn't there? <laughs> always something. Yeah, great. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about here today, again, at carsyad.com slash Pete Shapouris. Also, I'd like to give a little shout-out to a couple pals of mine. Yeah, sure. Gary and Arlene Krings. They were... My they were Carol and mine's Minder at Casey, and they just were the best. All right. Well, nothing like uh, shouting out to the best. Hopefully, I get to go to that event next year and, and can meet those great folks. Appreciate yeah, maybe that. I get to go too. <laughs> well, I hope so. We can we can have some fun there together. Thank you, Pete, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Okay, man. Anytime. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.